It's really good to be with you this morning. Uh, I've had occasional connections with King's Church over many years and uh, appreciated fellowship uh, with you. I'm part of Commission Sphere of New Frontiers, uh, which works with Guy Miller. I'm part of the UK team, the international team. On one hand, I've retired from full-time church leadership, but on the other hand, I seem to be as busy as ever. And I think any of you who are retired, I've probably heard it from you before, uh, saying, once you retire, it's really, really busy. Somebody told me that, you know, once I retired, I'll be able to wake up in the morning and go back to sleep and do that several times in the same day. Uh, And I haven't managed that just yet. But I know this, that kind of getting older has improved my prayer life. uh, Because I don't just now pray for a car parking space. I ask the Lord to help me remember where I've parked the car. Um, So as you go older, you don't become more independent from God. You depend on him more and more and more. I'm aware it's Father's Day. Uh, I got a card from, I've got uh, two daughters and four granddaughters. Uh, so with my wife, I'm surrounded by women. Uh, I don't lack advice uh, and comment. I just about manage to get a word in uh, now and again, try and hold my own. But yeah, I, we love our grandchildren, love our daughters as well. One of my daughters sent a card. I hope you've got some affectionate card this morning if you're a father. Uh, it says, Dad, when I grow up, I want to be as funny as you think you are. Well, she's out of the will, uh, so we'll move on and try and... I'm aware it's Father's Day, and uh, I do believe my preach helps not just fathers, but people of all ages, men and women of all ages. We're going to look at a helpful checklist found in the Bible. The title of my talk is Fit to Fight. It's got a kind of a warfare language. Now, let me just say at the beginning... I don't believe that uh, God and Satan are on in an equal and opposite battle. I believe that God has won. Do you understand? I know the end of the story. Jesus has gained a victory for us. Hallelujah. That's what we believe as Christians. What Jesus has done is sufficient for us to be accepted by God through faith in Jesus and loved by him. But we know that there's a real war that goes on. There's the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. I don't like to kind of focus too much on what the enemy is doing, but we need to be aware. The Bible tells us we must be aware of areas where the devil can seek to spoil us. We're not exempt from his attacks, his schemes. So we need both encouragements and some warnings. The Apostle Paul, when he's writing to Timothy, it's in the New Testament, He says this to Timothy, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. There's a warfare picture for you. You are called to be soldiers. There are no real Christian pacifists in this context. In the sense, there's a battle that goes on and we need to be soldiers. We need to play our part. And in Ephesians, we know the passage. Many of us will know the passage well that says this, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Do, and do not give the devil a foothold, it says in Ephesians 4. My experience of many, many years of leading a church is sometimes the devil just gets a foothold in someone's life 
and turns it into a stronghold. Just a little area becomes a big area of difficulty. Something that started, and I don't want us to be neurotic or anxious this morning. I'm going to smile a lot as I talk to you. I'm not looking to condemn you. Uh, A checklist can be helpful. I'm not putting you under law in any way at all. But we want to make sure that we don't give the devil a foothold in key areas of our life. Jesus talked about thieves that come to steal, to kill, and destroy. But he said, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life to the full. And that's what Jesus wants for you this morning. That's what I want for you this morning, that you may have this life in Jesus to the full. We know it's a battle. I'm not going to be saying that life is perfect. I'm not going to be saying Christian homes are perfect and things like that. But I'm going to say sometimes there are substantial issues that we need to address. And we can't just be casual about these things. The Apostle Peter, who knew about spiritual warfare within and without, he says this, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. So what I want to share with you this morning is helping you look at key areas of your life. I'm not going to go into great detail In some ways, at the end, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to work with you. Maybe if you need further help, you can talk to church leaders. But I don't want people kind of messed up in the sense of thinking their life is a disaster because maybe something's exposed. I would say if it's exposed, it's exposed so that the Lord may work with you to bring healing and help and restoration. Checklists can be helpful. So I'm not putting you under law. I don't live under law. I live under God's grace. But a checklist can be helpful. I'm going on a holiday this Thursday. We're going to Spain, flying to Malaga with EasyJet or not so EasyJet, whatever you want to call them. And I know very well I'll be going up uh, onto the plane near the cockpit. And you go on these smaller planes and you're right next to the cockpit. And you know, I want to see the pilot going through the checklist. I want to see him going through the checklist. I don't want to see the the checklist discarded on the floor and the co-pilot saying, should we go through the checklist? And he and the pilot say, no, no, no need to go through. I will shout into the cockpit, please go through the checklist. It's good. It's helpful. It doesn't put us under law. It helps us to be safe and secure and address issues that need to be repaired in our lives. I don't live under law. I enjoy reading the Bible. I have my daily reading through my iPhone. Uh, It's brilliant. I can just have a daily reading. And you know, my iPhone app, it kind of tells me uh, how many days I've done consecutively. So just about Christmas time, I'd done about 80 days consecutively reading the Bible. I thought I was the best Christian in the world. 80 days. Isn't that brilliant? I missed a day. And you know, the number went back to zero. I just want to say, God is not like that. Hallelujah. Aren't you relieved? If God finds something wrong or we fail, we don't go back to zero. Hallelujah. God is gracious and patient and loving. But on these little apps, you can get a kind of a legalist in here that will remind you if you haven't done your daily reading. And when I first started using them, you just get these reminders. Malcolm, 
You have not done your daily reading. Well, I turned him off. I'm not going to be run under law or whatever. I live by grit and I live by grace. What does that mean? God loves me and accepts me, but I bring a bit of grit and discipline just to my own walk with the law. So I'm not putting anyone under any law by going through a checklist. It's helpful just sometimes to say, how are we doing in these areas of our life? So we're going to look at an Old Testament passage, but the New Testament also contains some checklists. When it talks about appointing elders, there's a checklist. And deacons, there's a checklist. The apostles often go through, listen, stay away from these things. Check these things out. Watch your life, your purity, your speech. It has little checklists for us, not to put us under law, but just to help us to address areas where there might be difficulties, substantial or dysfunctional areas of our life. So, I want to read from Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 1 to 9. When you go, it says, when you go to war, not if you go to war, when you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them, because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. When you're about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say, Hear, O Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not be terrified or give way to panic before them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you, against your enemies to give you victory. Hallelujah. The officers shall say to the army, Has anyone built a new house and not dedicated it? Let him go home or he may die in battle, and someone else may dedicate it. Has anyone planted a vineyard and not begun to enjoy it? Let him go home, or he may die in battle, and someone else enjoy it. Has anyone become pledged to a woman and not married her? Let him go home, or he may die in battle, and someone else marry her. Then the officers shall add, Is any man afraid or faint-hearted? Let him go home, so that his brothers will not become disheartened too. When the officers have finished speaking to the army, they shall appoint commanders over it. And I've put a note in my diary, if there's any left. Because it seems to me as if there's quite a few people could be disqualified from fighting there and then. Or they're not fit to fight. But let me just talk about these are substantial areas and substantial difficulties in these areas. Looking at you this morning, you look a good bunch. But I know that sometimes these areas I'm going to look at, we often consider private and personal. And we don't often open up about them. Sometimes we're not accountable about things that are going on in these areas. And I want to tell you, with God, there is nothing personal and private Because in his goodness, he wants to help you in every area of your life. So, what happens when you go to war? Not if. He says there's going to be a greater army. Don't worry about their technology. Don't worry about their numbers. The priests come forward. It's interesting. The priests are involved in warfare as well. The priests come forward. And their priests are brilliant. They're the people you want to meet. He says, look at the enemy. They look nasty, but listen, God is with you. 
you're going to win. Hallelujah. Isn't it nice to have people like that around who are always positive and always tell you that God is for you and it's true and God's going to bless you and God wants to bless you. That's brilliant. And then the officers come forward. And the officers then start saying, hey, there's significant areas. If you haven't sorted things out, you need to go home. They're substantial areas. He's not saying in the first place, listen, if you're a man and you haven't finished a DIY project at home, go home. He's not saying that because most of them would have disappeared. Because we know what us men are like. We like starting things. Sometimes we don't finish it. These were not insignificant things. I'm not saying DIY is insignificant, but these were substantial matters regarding to do with home and other areas of your life. And then, so these officers come and they list say, if you've got a problem in these four areas, go home. Does it mean that they've got less faith and less grace than the priests? No. We know that in life, we have got the victory in Jesus. Isn't that true? But we know that there's an enemy that will spoil us. And there's areas where we can get caught out and hindered and hampered in serving the Lord. And I know from leading a church for many years that sometimes some areas of our life spoil us, stunt us, and we also sometimes use them for real reasons, sometimes as excuses for not being available as a soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not talking about you being involved in everything in the church, but whether you're in work, whether you're at home, whether you're with your children, whether you're a single person, divorced, widowed, whatever, you're a soldier of Christ. And God wants you to be fit and able to fight the fight without distraction, without being vulnerable, without being a liability to fellow soldiers. So we have victory in Jesus, but we want to make sure our effectiveness and contribution is good and positive. So what are the basic areas that need attention to stop us from being distracted or less available or vulnerable or even a liability to others? And as I said earlier, there's no kind of perfect context. I'm not setting a really high bar. We know there are challenges that go on in all areas of our life. But it's good just to go through these areas. The first thing that is mentioned is the home. Is your house dedicated? The Israelites, when they built a new house, there was thanksgiving and a feast. There was, there was a clear devoting, dedicating of the home to the Lord. Now, I'm not saying we have to go through any ritual like that, but we shouldn't be casual about our home. We shouldn't be casual about what happens in our home. We English have a saying, the Englishman's home is his castle. And it's sometimes as if we try and keep God out of our castle as well. This is my own area, my own domain. No one tells me what to do. But we know very well, and I know as a pastor, sometimes within homes, there are things that are difficult, things that are dysfunctional, not just small things, significant things. And we can't afford to be casual about our home life. If our faith doesn't work in our home, then why should we export it? If it doesn't work we're in our marriages, in our, our relationship with children or parents, then where is it? going to work. So it's not our castle. God's allowed in. He's allowed to see what goes on. 
It's not our show house. It's not just a place for our status or to show how well we have done. It's a place where God wants his presence to be known. Is it a home that honors and pleases God? As much as is possible, is your home context a godly one? Is it a place of peace? I find it very interesting in in Luke chapter 10, where Jesus sends the 70 out. He says this, if you go to a house and they receive you, say, peace be to this house. If they don't receive you, your peace will return to you. That's spooky, isn't it? That's slightly strange. It's as if there can be a peace given or a peace even that's lost within a home. And again, I don't want us to be too analytical or worried about that. But our homes, in the midst of banter and stress and, and challenges, which is what happens in families, isn't it? I'm, I know what happens in families. Uh, you know, I'm not a perfectionist in this, and God understands that. But there should be a prevailing sense of God's peace. Is your home a place of peace? It's no good singing about being washed in the blood of Jesus and uh, singing all sorts of other songs if we go home and make a, a mess of our home through our tantrums and our bullying or our moodiness. God wants it to be a place of peace where there's godly authority, where there's mutual respect, where there's hospitality too. You might say, oh, we're not very good at that. Well, it doesn't mean you have to provide a five-star meal for people. Just the people can come. People can come. Even in the mess of life, people can come. It's not somewhere people are barred. But people can come. Be hospitable as well. So I want to say in an easy way, without drilling down into too much, if there's something radically wrong in your home life that needs urgent attention, what do these officers say? Go sort it. Go home. Sort it out. Do something about it. Don't just let it go on. As much as you can, with God's help, maybe help from others, get help and move forward in it. The next area, it talks about first fruits. It talks about planting a vineyard and not enjoying the fruit. I don't know, and I guess there won't be many vineyard owners here. Are there? No, not many around High Wycombe. But the thing is this, vineyards were so important. When they went into the land, they planted, it became a place, it was part of their economy, their trade, their currency, were these things that mattered to them. And I want to read something from Leviticus so we understand the context for this. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 23 says this, When you enter the land and plant any kind of fruit tree, regard its fruit as forbidden. For three years, you are to consider it forbidden. It must not be eaten. In the fourth year, all its fruit will be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. In this way, your harvest will be increased. I am the Lord, your God. So you go into the land, you plant a vineyard. The first year, there's fruit. The Lord says, forbidden. Don't touch it. The second year, there is fruit. 
The Lord says, it's forbidden. Don't touch it. The third year, there is fruit. You see, the Lord knows how to handle vineyards. He's the best gardener, the best vineyard. The third year, fruit, surely. The Lord says, no, forbidden. The fourth year, the Lord says, yes, you can harvest the fruits. Oh, thank you, Lord. Then he says, and give it all to me. We'd have a few arguments with God about that, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we? If we're talking about our finances, this is my livelihood. This is what I've earned. This is what I've gained from planting my investment. And yet the Lord says, before you can enjoy the fruit, you should honor him first with your first fruits. And I just want to bring a nice smiley challenge to you. Maybe men here, not just the men, fathers leading the home. Are you honoring the Lord with your finances? Whether you call it a tithe or not, for, for my wife and I, we're happy to work with the tithe and beyond. I don't think that's law. I think Abraham tithed and he was a man of faith. He was the first one to tithe. So it's a helpful guideline. You honor the Lord with your first fruits. And do you know there's always amazing promises? It says here, I am the Lord your God. I will increase your harvest. Now, I want to tell you, it doesn't work out sweetly all the time. When my wife and I, we've been married over 40 years. When we first got married, we decided to tithe. We were going to give to the local church, and we did it. And I felt so noble. I was doing the Lord a favor. The car broke down. The washing machine broke down. It was only secondhand anyway. But that broke down. I was pretty miffed because I'd read Bible verses that said, if I honored the Lord, everything would be fine and I'd be very rich. That's how I read it. It's not exactly like that. But we kind of worked through it. We realized we had a wrong perspective and we just continued. But I want to say the Lord isn't there for you just to give him what's left. Honor him with your first fruits. Honor him with your first fruits. That's a big test. That's why the Lord says, I am the Lord. You can trust me. You can trust me. And that's why sometimes I know as a pastor, and, and sometimes when I preach, if I preach like this in other places, the local pastors, they love it. They love me preaching about giving and other things as well because, it, because we don't want to be heavy-handed about it. We want to be gracious and kind, but I'll just say it in a good way because in a few minutes, I'm going to clear off. There's a driver waiting for me. You'll never catch me. I'm going to clear off as quickly as possible. I'm going to say, please, brothers and sisters, honor the Lord with your first fruits. I have simple advice for people. I'm not an economist. I, I got kind of a, an A-level in economics, but I'm not an economist. It says this, first of all, honor the Lord with your first fruits. Have a budget and live within your budget. Thirdly, keep a generous spirit. Those simple things, but honor the Lord first. If your finances are all over the place, then I would say you can become vulnerable. And I know as a pastor, sometimes these things, alongside immorality and pornography, are often the last things to come out when you're dealing with people their financial problems. Because sometimes we think it reflects on us and it's shameful or we've made a wrong investment. We might have made some honest mistakes. We might have not been trained or helped or taught how to do it. 
but don't live your life in a financial mess. Get help. But I would say, first of all, honor the Lord. Is, are you honoring the Lord? Sort it as soon as possible. The next area is relationships. It says this, are any of you pledged and not married? Well, I'm going to mention this in the context of relationships. Are your relationships clean and fulfilling? Are there any significant unresolved issues between you and other people that you are able to put right? Sometimes you can't put it right with people. They don't want to put it right. But you need to put it right in your own heart. Again, I'm telling you, from my pastoral experience, I was amazed how many mature, good, godly people carried on their Christian life having a significant issue with one other. Often, there was an area of anger or bitterness or resentment, unforgiveness, these things against people, and they can spoil us. And what the, uh, the officers are saying here, listen, if there's unresolved relational thing, especially if you've pledged yourself to a woman, you haven't married her, go and sort it out. Go and put it right. Jesus said, if you're praying and you know you've got something against your brother, go and put it right. As much as lies with you, the Bible says, live at peace with all men. And sometimes we're spoilt, we're hampered by unforgiveness, by a bad relationship, an improper relationship, something that needs to be cleaned up, something that needs to be clarified, a relationship that maybe needs to be fulfilled or maybe a relationship that needs to be terminated. Relationships are so important, but sometimes things go wrong. And it's within our capacity often to clean ourselves up and put it right. Sometimes to go and put it right with that person if that's appropriate. Don't procrastinate about these issues. Is there any abuse in a relationship? Any disrespect, unforgiveness? Do you know people hurt us? People do hurt us. We hurt one another. But there's a big difference between being hurt and being bitter. Nobody makes you bitter. People can hurt you, but you make yourself bitter by messing around with the hurt. That's what happens. And that, sadly, again, pastorally, so many people carry these things. And it's not always easy and simple. But if you carry years of bitterness, sometimes it can affect your ministry for the Lord. You're still in his grace, still part of his family, but maybe not as effective as the Lord wants you to be. So, if there's anything like that, sort it. Put it right. And then the last area is often a big target area for the enemy. Fear. Are any of you afraid? Go home. Or your fellow soldiers might become afraid. Isn't it amazing how sometimes fear travels quicker than faith? You know, I would love it for faith to, to travel really quickly. But sadly, sometimes fear often seems to overtake faith. Yeah, I know we can be in context with people and we're doing okay. And then they get jittery. And it can be passed on to us and we become nervous about something we weren't nervous about. That can happen. And sometimes fear comes in, sometimes a little bit, and it just strangles our obedience and faith, and it spoils, it stunts, and it can spread. And it's amazing how many fears people can have. Uh, and it becomes, you know, a massive target area for the enemy. 
It's as if you're saying, here's my mind, like a runway with landing lights on it. An enemy, you can come and land there anytime and mess around with my thinking. That's what happens when you let fear have its course. And you can resist fear as you resist the Satan. You can receive help. My wife was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2007. When we came away from uh, the scan that she had, we sat in the car and we cried. We cried. We, we were upset. I was upset for her. We were, she was upset about the situation. But the amazing thing about my wife, Pam, she resolved that she would not give in to fear. Whatever happened, she wouldn't give in to fear. As well as, like many of you ladies, you have a brilliant threshold, high threshold of faith and <laughs> taking things on and carrying things. She never gave, and you know, through it all, she was the strength in the middle of it all. Through believing God and trusting God. She didn't capitulate to fear. Just a few years ago, she was diagnosed with myeloma cancer. Had to have stem cell transplant. Again, we were upset. We were shocked. In the middle of it, there's my wife not giving in to fear. There's a little bit of anxiety. There's a little bit of care. There's a little bit of sadness. There's a little bit of confusion. But no fear. Hallelujah. And I believe all of us can live like that. The world throws so much. The devil just wants to find a landing place in your mind where he can worry you and trouble you. And you know, sometimes because that happens to you, it can affect others around you. I'm not saying you're doing that will, willfully, but sometimes your kind of fears can be just transmitted one way or another. Your doubts, your uncertainty, even your cowardice maybe can be transmitted to others. Fear is not from God. It can come through traumatic events, come through wrong thinking. It can come through other people and what they've passed on to you. You can be intimidated. You can be abused. There can be Satan lies, Satan's lies and accusation. Sometimes fear comes because we lack assurance of God's love for us and the work of Jesus and all that he's done for us. But it can make us insecure, unstable, unreliable. Is there a fear area in your life, a stronghold that needs to be broken? Sort it. I'm not being too glib about it, but pay attention. That's what these officers are doing. Hey, there's a battle to fight, but there's key areas you just need to give attention to. You're still in the army of God. Hallelujah. You're still loved by God. Uh, I hope you're getting that message this morning. None of you are disqualified from God's grace and God's favor. But sometimes there's areas where we just need to give attention. Otherwise, we're not as effective and as available as God would love us to be. Sometimes we're not as strong for others as God would want us to be. There's victory promised to those in Christ Jesus. He has won the victory, but there's a battle to face. There's battles to fight day by day. Don't be casual about these four key battlegrounds. As I said earlier, these are areas sometimes where we're tempted to think this is private. This is my area. I don't share it with anyone else. It's, you know, what will people think of me? And I know pastorally many people 
cover these things up and there's deep issues. And I want to tell you, there's love for you. There's grace for you. There is forgiveness for you. There is help for you. There is healing for you. Let's stand together. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you came to give us life to the full. That we might be those who worship you, not just in our meetings, but we worship you in our homes by how we live, what we do with our finances and our friendships and relationships and in our own thinking that we can worship you. And you're not looking in any way to disqualify us, but you're looking just to make sure we're aware of the devil's schemes. And Lord, we just lay our lives before you. Life can be so difficult and challenging, Lord. You know that. You sympathize with us and our weaknesses. What a great high priest we have. You're not looking to accuse. But Lord, we just lay before you these areas and we say, Lord, come, heal, bless, renew, restore that we won't be vulnerable to the enemy's attacks. In our home, Lord, I pray every home here will be blessed by your presence and your peace. Lord, I pray for what we do with our finances, that we will honor you. First of all, I pray in relationships, we'll seek to keep them as clean as we can. And Lord, areas of fear, that we'll say no to fear and find faith coming so that we might be useful for you and bear the fruit that you called us to bear. I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you.